This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. That would be me, and it would be my pleasure to be your host for the next 60 minutes. We'll talk a bit about current events. Uh, I understand there's a bit of a kerfuffle going on over in the Crimea. Today's show will feature a couple of guests. In our second segment, we will speak with UC Davis Professor of Political Science, Dr. John Scott, about the Olympics. Because, although I know this is hard to believe, it is apparent that sometimes politics has intruded on the games. In our third segment, we'll do a brief obituary about local cartoonist and legend, Maury Turner. And joining us for that discussion will be our cartoonist pal, Mr. Eric DeCetis. Well, let's begin this show as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in today's case is the 6th of March. It was on March 6th in 1836 in the so-called Texas War for Independence that Mexican troops overran the Alamo in San Antonio after besieging the defendant outpost for 13 days. It is noted that nearly all of the 184 Texas defenders were killed, but they inflicted heavy casualties on the Mexican army and apparently bought time for Sam Houston to defend the rest of Texas. It should be kept in mind regarding the legend of the Alamo that the reason that these staunch defenders of freedom were holed up was that um, they were bound and determined to keep their slaves. Slavery had been abolished in Mexican territory, and the newly arrived American immigrants were intent upon keeping the institution. Somehow this always seems to get lost in discussions of the Alamo. Along with the fact that the Mexican general in command of the army besieging them is widely considered to be one of the worst generals in all of history. Captured at one point by American forces, they astutely let him go, reasoning rather astutely that there was no one they could think of that they'd rather see in command of Mexican forces. And speaking of slavery, it was on March 6th in 1857, at the end of an 11-year legal battle, that Dred Scott, a slave from Missouri, was told that he must remain a slave. He and his wife had filed a suit for their freedom, but the U.S. Supreme Court issued a clear victory for slave-holding southern states by ruling that Congress and territorial governments were powerless to exclude slavery from American territories. The case added significantly to the tensions that led to the great American bloodbath known as the Civil War just four years later. On this date in 1899, aspirin was patented in Germany. Aspirin was originally the trade name given by the German pharmaceutical company Bayer to acetylsalicylic acid. The success of the drug, together with a ruling after World War I that forced Bayer to give up the trademark, led to aspirin becoming the universal name. The drug was derived from a chemical found in the bark of willow trees, which had been known for its pain-relieving properties for centuries. Evidently, French chemist Charles Frederick Gerhardt had created was probably aspirin in 1853, but did not market or patent it. In 1897, Bayer employee Felix Hoffman found a way to create a stable form of the drug, which he gave to his father to ease his arthritis. Aspirin, of course, is still used today to treat mild arthritic inflammation. And on this date, March 6th, 1964, the new American heavyweight boxing champion Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali. 
Our quote of the day, and this surprises me, comes from L. Ron Hubbard. Said Ron, there's a condition worse than blindness, and that is seeing something that isn't there. Well, he ought to know. Which strongly tempts me to use for our quote of the day a quote from Muhammad Ali, referring to his supposed new strategies of the rope-a-dope and the mirage. The mirage was when he went out in the middle of the ring and let the other man think he sees something that ain't there. Which did lead Howard Cosell to ask about the so-called rope-a-dope. You've mentioned the rope. Who's the dope? To which Ali replied, that's whoever chased me in the rope. But uh, and with our nod to the greatest, we would actually use for our quip of the day something the late, great Harold Ramis once said, which was, you can't not have feelings about country clubs, whichever side you're on, which allows us to segue to a Rodney Dangerfield line from Caddyshack, which may or may not have been written by Harold Ramis. Dangerfield to his Asian companion inside the country club. I hear this place is restricted, Wang, so don't tell him you're Jewish. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Seth Meyers, who noted the captain of the crashed cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, went back to the wreck for the first time since the accident. Said the captain, it looks so different, sober. Our anecdote of the day is as follows. When newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst offered columnist Arthur Brisbane a fully paid six-month vacation for his valuable work on behalf of the newspapers, Brisbane surprisingly refused. When Hearst asked for an explanation, the journalist provided two reasons. Said he, The first is that if I stopped writing for six months, it might hurt the circulation of your newspapers. He then paused to add, The second reason is that it might not. Our stat of the day was that two-thirds of the American public did not see any of the nine movies nominated for Best Picture Oscar. Sadly, this correspondent is among those two-thirds majority. Did you see any Mr. McMillan? I'm not even sure what the nominees were. I did see American Hustle, but I'm not sure if it was a nominee, but it should have been a nominee because I did quite enjoy it. Good enough. You know, we're entertaining the notion of adding to our, quote, quip, joke, stat, anecdote of the day, and maybe throw in good news. And the item we would have uh, for that category on today's program would be the fact that Cosmos is coming back to television. Back in 1980... Carl Sagan's Cosmos was a cultural event, a series that inspired millions of TV viewers with its dazzling depictions of distant galaxies and poetic contemplations of time travel. Well, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who we've had the pleasure of interviewing on this program, is going to attempt a 13-episode journey through time and space, taking up where the immortal Carl Sagan left off. We wish Dr. deGrasse Tyson well in this endeavor and hope to catch a few episodes. Maybe all of them. And if you didn't catch this chat with us, you can find it on our website at radioparallax.com. And although there's an awful lot we could say about what's going on over in Ukraine, I think we'll let that one simmer for a week. But I would like to quote what Michael Stinson had to say in his letter to the Sacramento Bee, which was, I'm in total amazement about what I just heard from Secretary of State John Kerry on CNN, that no country should invade another country on false pretenses. Asked Mr. Stinson, what did the United States of America do under George W. Bush? Saddam Hussein had no weapons of mass destruction, yet that was used as an excuse to invade Iraq. The U.S. preaches about other nations having their rights respected, 
Yet we are the biggest violators of the rights of other nations. I think you can make a case for that, although I'm not sure I agree with this final sentence, that if Russia believes it has the right to reclaim its former territories, then so be it. I'm not sure it's quite as simple as that, but we will defer further discussions till next week. Let us instead jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for entrepreneurship after a San Francisco Girl Scout set up a cookie stand outside of a medical marijuana clinic. She reportedly sold out her entire stash of munchies in just 45 minutes. Said Danielle Lay, age 13, they get very hungry after. Indeed they do, Danielle. Indeed they do. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for loving yourself just the way you are. With the news that some Brooklyn hipsters with patchy beards are getting facial hair transplants to give them fashionable lumberjack-style beards. Said Dr. Jeffrey Epstein, a plastic surgeon who performs the $8,000 transplants, full beards have become an important male identifier. Evidently, a now full-bearded customer told the New York Post, it's one of the best investments I've ever made. And although we have no idea what this man's other investments were, we just say, hey, whatever makes you happy. And it was an ugly week last week for human rights with the news that gays in Uganda can now be imprisoned for life after President Yawari Museveni signed a sweeping anti-gay law. Unlike the bill's first draft, the new law does not include a death penalty. Well, there's progress but it provides prison terms for anyone who has gay sex or counsels gay people, which could include any international human rights group. Museveni said homosexuality is a choice, and he railed against the imposition of Western values, saying, outsiders cannot dictate to us. The next day, a tabloid printed what was effectively a list of gays under the headline, Exposed! Uganda's 200 Top Homos Named! The United States, which gives Uganda $400 million a year, said it would reassess its aid policy. And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week last week for breathing, at least in China, with the news that Chinese officials have said that the smog that has settled across six provinces has made life unbearable. Particulate concentrations, which are considered unsafe over 25 micrograms per cubic meter, are well over 500 in Beijing, where the government told people to wear masks or stay indoors. The Chinese government also said it was checking to make sure that local authorities had closed polluting factories as ordered last year. You know, we think Radio Parallax can help the Chinese government on this one. Hey guys, they haven't closed the factories, okay? There'll be no charge for that intelligence. And by the way, one story we were tempted to use, which was both uh, bad and ugly, was the story about a woman named... Blondie Bennett, who's apparently undergone plastic surgery in order to become a real-life Barbie. We were buying that part of it. But when the report said she'd undergone hypnotherapy to make herself as dumb as a doll, we had our doubts. Bennett was quoting as saying, as regards her hypnotherapy, I'm already starting to feel dizzy and confused all the time. Now, Radio Parallax knew this story had to be bogus. Because why should anyone have to undergo weekly sessions with a hypnotherapist 
to make yourself dumber. Fox News is available out there for free. And for more on Fox News and its crimes against humanity, we will refer you to the William Endicott essay in the Sacramento Bee of a few days ago. To quote from Endicott, Our job is to blow things all out of proportion. That was a slogan that a political reporter friend of mine once suggested we have printed on T-shirts. At that time, we were covering Ronald Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign, and Reagan worshippers were convinced we were intent upon exploiting Reagan's age and his every gaffe and misstep. Noted Endicott, blowing things out of proportion is a fairly common criticism of the press, and my friend's facetious suggestion was meant as a humorous response to the critics. He noted, but there is, to be sure, sometimes ample justification for the charge. In fact, one television network, Fox News, seems devoted solely to the proposition that there is no story involving President Barack Obama that it cannot work into a negative spin or blow all out of proportion. He added, if I were suggesting a slogan for a t-shirt today, I think it would read, it is getting harder and harder to blow things out of all proportion. Of course, this does not stop. The Rupert Murdoch organization, which includes Fox News, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Post, note their recent effort to convince Americans that Obamacare is a job killer. Said the New York Post, the rise of the loafer class is Obama's real legacy and should be celebrated with postage stamps featuring couch potatoes dozing off in front of televisions. Now they're blaming Obama for the fact that America appoints political hacks as ambassadors. These people have just now noticed this is a common practice? Writing in the Washington Post, Juliet Eliparin said, The nominee for U.S. Ambassador to Norway admits he's never been there and outrages Norwegians by referring to its prime minister as president and its ruling center-right coalition as an extremist fringe. The nominee for the U.S. Ambassador to Argentina can't speak Spanish. The nominee for Ambassador to Hungary a soap opera producer who hemmed and hawed through his Senate committee's questions about the country. What do these nominees have in common? They were all major donors or bundlers to President Obama's 2012 campaign. Embellishing this in the WashingtonPost.com, Jennifer Rubin said, filling U.S. embassies with unqualified political hacks is a grave insult to competent foreign service officers, suggesting that what the State Department does is irrelevant. Do these dopes really think that this practice was discovered by Barack Obama? In all honesty, I don't think they're that stupid. Mr. Mavillian suggests that perhaps they've undergone some hypnotherapy recently. By the way, in my opinion that those uh, writers are not necessarily that stupid, like all opinions expressed in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And here's an intriguing item related to foreign affairs. Apparently, Hollywood came calling to Little Kabul, better known as Fremont. There was a casting call a few weeks back in that uh, East Bay City where a film with A-list stars and a Bay Area-raised director are looking to cast an Afghan-American in its lead role. The Fixer will feature box office star James Franco and Academy Award winner Melissa Leo, but its producers must still cast Osman, an Afghan journalist who leaves his war-torn country to become a crime reporter in a small, mysterious Northern California town. That search had led the production to Fremont, which is home to the nation's largest Afghan-American community. The filmmakers say that finding the right actor is paramount as they want their story to capture the Afghan-American experience with authenticity and integrity. Said producer Carolyn Von Kuhn, an Afghan man in his late 20s or early 30s would be the ideal candidate and professional acting experience is not required. 
I'm quite intrigued by this story, having grown up in that town and uh, having noted with some satisfaction, and I think Mr. McMillan will back me up on this, uh, the high quality of the Afghan food, which is now available in Fremont, thanks to its large refugee population. I will definitely back you up on that. All right. You know, this might be a good time to take a short break, so let's do that. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Parallax. 